Blog Talk Radio. Personal Finance so with Dr. Charles Ross. It is a Friday, May 1st, and we made it to another week. Thank God. It's been crazy out there, hasn't it? Uh, it's the new normal, and it would just maybe what? Uh, let's see, maybe a couple of months into all over the country just about having to um, shelter in place orders, social distancing. We've learned some some new words. I did. I, I mean, who came up with social distancing? I, that's a that's a new word that we have in our vocabulary. And shelter in place. Who came up with that? That's uh, new. But we're making it. We're you know that's what you do. You just kind of things come at you. You just have to respond. And uh, it's getting really crazy out there right now. It's uh, you know here in Atlanta, um, the highways are pretty clear, but folks are going 100 miles per hour. <laughs> folks are actually the police are saying they're 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 giving more tickets for folks going over 100 miles per hour. They think it's the autobahn. They just you know not that much traffic and they're boogity 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 down the road. Here in Atlanta, people normally drive between 65 and 80 miles per hour. Matter of fact, 80 probably 75 to 80 miles per hour is probably the standard speed that folks do around the expressway. But I digress. We're here to talk about finance. My guest today is uh, Audrey Croft. She's a financial advisor with uh, Ameriprise, Ameriprise Financial Services. She owns a bunch of licenses in life, health, accident, variable life, variable annuities. And uh, she has over 20 years of experience. And she operates a fee-based financial planning practice here in Atlanta in a suburb uh, called Roswell. And she specializes in comprehensive approach to financial planning and a bunch of things that she can help you with as well as just the regular stuff of financial planning, but also perhaps how to think about your finances during this uh, pandemic. Uh, Welcome, Audrey. Good evening. How are you today? I am very well, very well, Dr. Ross. First of all, um, I want to thank you for having me as your guest. This is my first time, and I'm honored and, and graciously uh, was willing to accept. I've been following you from V103 when you was just pulling it down. You've always been doing big things. And so thank you for having me. Oh, wow. I'm you glad to be so here. Kind. You're so kind. Uh, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, uh, 20, 
some years ago I had the show and uh, now Atlanta is like 6 million people and I think that's I always think about that's the past and you know there's new folks who never heard of of uh, my show Your Personal Finance and so during this pandemic I decided to bring some of it back because I think the need is always there for good advice and like to reach out to people like you who have expertise that can help our audience with some of the things that they're they're struggling with so thank you so much for, for being a part of that uh, one of the things now, are you, from, uh, are you from Atlanta? And, and I wanted to, I just wanted to add in what you were saying okay. about uh, where we were at in terms of sheltering in place and uh, social distancing, uh, because the world as we know it is going through destabilization, and we are going to have to build while we're on this side of it to determine how it's going to be on the other side. And, and that's so true. And that's it's going new, to be very important. And that's, and that's the new normal. And, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm 62, I'll be 63, God willing in October. And this is a first that they've canceled school two months out pretty much You're doing online distance learning and all that. And then, you know, companies that said that they couldn't work remotely, guess what? They're figuring out that they can. And I'm sure in your business and your financial uh, advising business, you've, you've had to uh, adapt because I'm sure you're used to seeing your clients uh, in person. But before we get into that, we're going to talk about how that has changed your practice. Are you from Atlanta? Are you from the Atlanta area? Are you? No, actually, like you, my family is from New York. I moved here um, May will this month will uh, wind up being 34 years. I moved down here to start a business, and I've been self-employed ever since. Brick mortar wow. staff. So wow. I've been I've been blessed. And um, I when I moved here, Georgia 400 was only one lane, and now you know the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, I remember that too when they were building it, and when it was, you had to pay a toll, and now you don't have to do that any anymore. So, did you go go to school up in New York, or in uh, what part I of did, New York? I did. I did Long Island, Long Island University. And, oh, okay. Um, I'm, I I originally started out in nursing by license as an LPN, and went to college for my RN. But I wind up they never understood it having a heart attack, and so I changed careers. And um, and this still allowed me to serve uh, the people because I was just always a natural servant. And, you know, based with my faith base, you know, because 500 verses in the Bible is about prayer, less than 500 on faith and over 2,300 on money and property. I know you relate to that as well. So it gave me a ministry uh, and so when Ameriprise offered me a position as a financial advisor, which I didn't even apply, I was honored, and uh, the rest is history. Well, actually, you know, with 20 years in uh, in business and 34 years being self-employed, uh, you know, congratulations to you because I know as a as a as a business owner that uh, you know it's it's tough out there and so you've been able to survive so congratulations to you for that and 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 another native New Yorker down here we came down here and took over one of the things that I've learned you know clearly uh, is that you can't teach what you don't know and you can't leave where you don't go 
That's true. That's very true. That's very, very true. So, you know, why did you become a financial planner? What, when you were approached about this, what excited you? I know you said something about serving, but what approach that kind of got you excited? Say, hey, wow, this would be a, be a good, worthwhile, you know, uh, area for me to focus on. It's interesting how it came together because um, when I went to Long Island University, it was only 3% minority, and, you know, and they had us write this paper you know, to see how we can move from one class to another. And the topic that I picked was if I had a million dollars. And I had never uh, uh, wrote to this degree before. But I had hired a financial advisor. I had hired an attorney, and I hired a tax consultant. And um, and so we put all the money away, locked it up, invested it. I didn't buy my mother a house. I didn't buy cars, and I didn't give money away. And so when everybody, you know, wanted to get a hold of my new, you know, windfall, I already had it locked up. I didn't need your help. And the teacher thought that I had such wisdom for such a young person. They skipped me in a class. And from that, I kind of always continued to follow the money. I like wow. the conversation about money. I like to talk about it all day long. <laughs> well, you know, that makes sense for someone that deals with money. You know, I'm of that same ilk, you know, uh, always wanting, thinking that conversations about money is what people want to know about. And, you know, a lot of people just don't know a lot about money, you know, and, and what to do with it. You know, they're making it, but, you know, what, what should they be doing with a dollar if they got an extra dollar or two or they got some money to invest, what would they what would they do? So explain what does a financial planner do? And so, you know, as a financial planner, uh, you know, what I do is 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 do a comprehensive approach to financial planning. And the first thing that we kind of look at is cash flow. You know, Cash flow is like air to the body. You know, it's, you know, um, the body uh, cannot survive very long without oxygen. And it's, it, it can go for uh, a few days without food. You won't feel that comfortable. And it can go for... Um, uh, a little while without water, but it cannot survive uh, long without uh, without oxygen. And that's what cash flow is to uh, small businesses or cash flow is to anyone who's trying to buy their groceries or pay uh, the rent. And so what clients should, you know, clearly uh, keep in mind about the current environment that we're in right now with, with you know, with all of the uncertainty is that in this period, which is very unique in many ways, you know, um, to know the challenges, you know, with the economic growth is, is really fairly common. Um, this is not out of the range. This is historical performances. Markets go up and markets go down. But so it's you the goals that the client is trying to achieve that they don't want to be derailed from. 
So when you say cash flow, you're talking about discretionary income. In other words, extra income you have after you paid your bills and, and stuff like that. Is that what you're referring to? And so cash flow is going to be everything that is coming in. And so that's the paycheck, Social Security, you know, um, uh, disability, what, you know, um, whatever income you have coming in, that's cash flow. That's the inflow. And, and so you have inflows, Charles, and then you have outflows. And so everything that's coming in and everything that's going out. Now, if everything that's coming in and going out is equal, uh, you have nothing left over. You have no discretionary. If you have a surplus, you have discretionary to go towards the goal. And a lot of people are having more month left over at the end of the money. So basically, you got to have some cash for what's coming in and then what's available to be invested. You know, walk us through, um, uh, you know, the typical interaction between you and, uh, say, a new client. What, ex- what, what, how does it, how do you handle that? Great question. When a client comes in, you know, to sit down with an advisor for the first time, they don't necessarily know what to expect, especially if this is the first time that they're working with a professional. And so we have them bring in documents that would make the meeting more productive. And so that means that they would want to bring in their pay stub, their tax statements, their bank accounts, their 401ks, IRAs, and other investments that brokerage accounts they may have. Uh, They would want to bring in their insurance documents. Do they have a will? Do they have a trust? Um, All of these things are relevant. You know, oftentimes people ask, do they need to bring their credit report? That's the one thing that is not part of the requirement, but if that is something that is part of their goal to reduce that because uh, they feel that um, they've got some issues with that, uh, then we have them let them bring that in and we start working on strategizing on that. So you're basically you know, looking at bringing in documents that uh, of all your financial transactions, you have retirement uh, plans, life insurance, all the, you know, your benefits, wherever you have cash, your investments and all that, and put that together. So once you have all that together, how do you determine how to move forward with a client? Well, the thing that we're looking at with the documents is the goal. You know, what is the client's goal? What are they trying to achieve? How much does that goal cost them? And what is the timeline that they need to arrive at that destination? For example, uh, the client may come in and they're planning to get married, and so they got a wedding goal. So wedding's going to cost what? Are they spending, you know, five, ten, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars? People do all kind of things depending on who they are, and so saving towards that planning work. Another goal is that. Um, they may be planning to expand their family. 
And so that's going to be in addition to the budget, uh, even through the pregnancy. They may want to buy a house or add on or upgrade their home. And so we need to know what timeline they want to do it, what that's going to cost in terms of getting quotes. Send the kids to college, private school, retire. What is the lifestyle? They want to help out family members. How much is that going to cost? And can they afford to do it? So if a, if a person comes to you and, uh, and they've worked with, and I'm sure they may have other financial advisors, folks, financial service professionals. They may have an insurance agent that covers mm-hmm. auto, home, and, and life. They may have someone that uh, deals with investments. Um, how, do you, how do you bring all that together since they're, they piecemealed out their financial plan, so to speak, to all these entities. How do you how do you interact with that? How do you deal with that? And so, you know, generally, you know, the goal in the comprehensive planning is to consolidate everything and so that you have everything in one place and the right hand know what the left hand is doing and everything is not scattered all over the place. And so uh what the client is looking to do and identify is that they have a good chemistry with the advisor uh, because the advisor, their personal advisor, you know, um, is going to have access to a lot of intimate, you know, information and conversation. And so they need to uh, have a personal relationship with this person. And uh, and oftentimes what happens is you have shared value. I think that's the key thing, you know, with me and my clients, Charles, is that, you know, oftentimes we have shared value. You know, going... When you say, when you say, uh, you say shared beyond, value, what does that beyond mean? Beyond the numbers. You said shared value. What, what does that mean? Explain that for a second. And so... Shared values are the things that uh, we oftentimes have in common of of what we believe and uh, why those things are important. Uh, You know, the things that motivate us. A lot of times we know how to do things and and what to do, but we often don't know why. We don't understand uh, what the purpose is. And and so a lot of times my clients and I have similar goals and purposes and beliefs. Uh, we have different ways about getting there as we're called with different personalities uh, to do different things, but we are purpose-driven individuals on a mission. Okay. So you have to have some commonality in terms of the things that you believe are the right things to do. Is that is that pretty much yeah, what you're talking I, about? It is, uh, because the whole thing is surrounded around goals and, and dreams, and we don't kind of give those out. People have to have a goal, and so they come to us, and we help them to accomplish that, not to hand them out. And so generally the people that come in to see advisors are very self-motivated. Okay. And they already know that there are things that they want to do, and they've been doing a lot of things before they meet their advisor. 
They just know that they need to refine it. So, in other words, that most of the clients that come to you have been doing some things. They just didn't have, I guess, for for clarity, I guess, uh, a quarterback. So, I wanted to kind of pull everything together because if you have an insurance guy, an investment guy, and so forth, you may not getting the best out of what, you know, coordinating all that together to achieve your goals. And I guess a financial planner coordinates those kinds of things. Is that that kind of makes sense, I guess? I'm trying to Yes, that that is true. The financial advisor is the coordinator and so they bring in I work with a a team of CPAs and uh a state attorneys, uh, so that uh, I'm meeting my fiduciary obligations with the client, you know, making sure that the client is getting uh, the best possible advice that's available to them. And I don't have it all. Amen. I, I, don't, I don't have it all. I, um, uh, I partner with those that have the rest. Again, that's the CPA that, and, and, the, and the estate attorney. And so... Uh, the client then can feel confident about their financial future because they can tell that all stones are touched. So typically, you know, people have some oftentimes have the impression that in order to engage a financial plan, you have to have a lot of money. In other words, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and to, to have a financial plan. Is that is that accurate? And that is that is an understatement when you say that, Charles, because that is often what people believe and that's a misnomer. And sometimes I think that the wrong people were told that so that they did not get an advisor. You know, because if you understand as we do the magic of compounded interest, uh, you, where you start is not going to be where you finish. Even the Word of God says do not despise humble beginnings. And so if you put away $150 a month, which is $2,000 a year over a long period of time, it grows into millions of dollars, especially if you started early. And so, for um, for example, uh, young investors, you know, to, today who might be experiencing, you know, um, their first market correction, you know, we're uh, hearing questions about whether they should step out, you know, of the market or adjust their savings, and. Um, and so we look at that they should stay the long term uh, because the market is going to correct them itself and is going to go through volatilities again and again. And um, within the time that they're starting to the time that they began withdrawal. And so all they need is an education because people don't lack capability, only knowledge. Mm. Okay. Okay, when so what 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 are you hearing from your clients now? What are they? What are their concerns now? Uh, you may have alluded to some of it, but what are their concerns now during this pandemic? 
you know, in terms of uh, their financial plan? What are they? Are they calling you uh, anxious? Or are they, you know, just gonna just lay low? What What are they coming to you? What type of advice are they asking you for? I guess maybe that's my basic question. And so, um, in actuality, you know, planning clients are much more calmer because they've been seasoned and they've been around and they've, you know, this is not their first rodeo. Uh, And so some of the things that they're, you know, concerned that we're talking about, uh, you know, what clients, you know, should keep in mind about the current environment is that uh, this period is is unique in many ways. because of the economic, you know, growth is is is, is fairly common without, uh, you know, history uh, and and throughout, you know, we have bounced back as human beings, and so we're going to bounce back again. And it's, it's it's absolutely important, you know, that the clients are talking to the advisors to get an understanding of what's going on in their present situation and get their questions answered. And so some of the things that, you know, we're talking about is it's important, you know, uh, when we see markets swing and account values, you know, um, go down, that we naturally start to have questions or concerns. And, and you might, you know, ask yourself, you know, can you retire at the time that you have plans to? You know, will you be able to uh, reach the stated goals and the timelines that were uh, put into the plan and what you might be able to do now. And and I think it's important to know that, you know, your advisor knows you and cares about you a great deal um, and, 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 and they know what's important to you and your goals and your personal financial situation and will continue to provide ongoing financial advice and support. And in a, in a period like this where, you know, um, it feels, you know, really uncertain, there's always a good set of decisions, you know, to make in an environment like this, whether it's rebalancing, uh, whether it's taking advantage of low prices, you know, in a market. And and on that, um, if I may, what one thing that I focus on, Charles, is making sure that my clients have a will and that it's updated and that they have health care directives, power of attorney uh, uh, in place. And, and the right beneficiaries assigned to their account. You know, um, these are some critical decisions that need to be made as part of a comprehensive financial plan, especially, especially I know with the coronavirus, none of us know what tomorrow will bring. And we need to have the legal documents in order. Also, uh, clients are looking for ways to provide support maybe to their children or their parents at this time for causes like charities or non uh, profits that they really care about. 
and how to make these donations at this time and make a difference, you know, in the world. But as an advisor, you know, we can help the clients determine what assets are best to use and how best to create uh, that support. And for clients who are looking for ways to provide support, one analogy that I would like to use is uh, you are flying on an airplane, the flight attendant suggests that you put on your oxygen mask first. And so before trying to help anybody and help others, you know, I like to uh, be sure that my client is looking at their own financial plan, making sure that that's in place, and then figure out how they may be able to help and make a difference in the world. You mentioned wills, and, you know, I have found in, in, in talking to people that they are hesitant to talk about death. How do you, why is it important for a person to have a will? Well, what's, the, what's, the, what's the main issue or issues for someone who, who doesn't have a will? And it's interesting and a good question and a very important question. And, and when clients come in to see me, Charles, and I'm sitting down with them, the first thing I want to tell them is your first, your most important estate plan, especially if you have children, is custodial care of your minor children. You need to have an estate plan in place. And then a lot of young people feel that they don't have anything, and so they don't need a will. Everybody needs a will. And so what is a will? A will is a testament of what's yours, and it could be a spillover even after you died as you come into money. It could have been that you died because the truck, you know, uh, 18-wheeler got you on the road and your family sued and won, and now that spillover is in existence that you didn't know you had money coming at the time that you died, and it's $3.5 million. But a will determines who gets your stuff, who gets the pictures, who gets the car, who gets the house, who gets the policy um, uh, money for life insurance. Of course, that has its own beneficiary designation as well. But without a will, when you don't have a will, that means that you die and it's called intestate. That means that the state you live in determine who your beneficiaries are. And that may not be necessarily who you wanted it to be. For example, if you are a single person and not married and you have, let's say, two children and uh, and your mother is still living, well, without a will, your mother would get half and your two children would get 25 and 25 to make the other half. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? Wow. Now, somebody may have planned for the kids to get all of it, but and if the father is still alive and the parents could have been divorced, 
the father uh, and the mother, I know, I know I said mother, we do that by habit because, you know, it's always mama's house and daddy's car. But um, uh, even when mama's dead and dad still lives there, the kids go over to mama's house and, and they get in daddy's car. But on the will, without, you know, having a will and you're in test state, then assets go to who the state determines is going to be the beneficiary. And they have a pecking order for that. I just gave the first pecking order. So it, 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 the it, second the round includes others. One of the things that I have seen folks do, and, and, and perhaps you can give some insight in terms of how to take care of this, that they'll, they'll get an insurance policy, it's a life insurance policy, and they'll make the beneficiary you know, minor children. And can you explain, when I say minor children, you know, explain why that's probably not a, a good idea? Yeah, that can be problematic because when you name a child as a beneficiary in anything, uh, the money goes into uh, a trust until a child is of legal age, and then the day of their birthday, they get all of the money. All of it, whether yeah. it's five hundred dollars or five million dollars, the date of their birthday, and that would just be, in my opinion, extremely irresponsible. And my clients, when I present that thought to them, they totally agree. And so, you know, you you always want to make sure that you are making provisions, you know, in in generational. Uh, and family planning so that you are uh, able to still determine your wishes even from the grave. Mm. Now, I know you were starting on a path. Even from the grave. You were starting on a path with the whole will thing. Did I interrupt that whole flow that you were doing? If not, can you you go back to it a little bit? Because I just wanted to get that out there because a lot of people, particularly people who will get insurance through their employer and you know they'll give you you know a real cheap insurance term insurance and and be able to get you stuff like that and they'll make their children their minor children a, a beneficiary and obviously you know uh they didn't have anybody advise them otherwise just so that yeah i want my 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 son daughter to have a hundred thousand fifty thousand or whatever and not realizing you know what's going to happen upon your death that that that, that money's not going to go directly to them you know, it'll have to be put in some type of trust, or they'll have to name a guardian for it, which could be a, a little problematic. Did I? Did you finish your thought in that in that area? But I wanted to get that out because I know a lot of people uh, are challenged with the, those kind of decisions. And and that's again a very good pin to continue the conversation uh, on the insurance. And thank you for allowing me to come back to it is when I sit down with clients, and remember they brought in all their documents and they have insurance, and so when I get to the part of insurance, uh, the first thing I wanted to know was what is the purpose of the insurance? Why did you buy this insurance? What were you thinking at the point of, um, of making the purchase? And so they'll tell you uh, that they wanted to make sure that the house was paid off if something happened to them. And so they got a policy so that when they died, the house was paid for. Another one wanted to replace the income. And um, 
and make sure that the children and and the spouse have you know funds to uh, maintain the lifestyle that they have. And so then the next question is, how did you come up with that amount? You know, because you know, as you absolutely know, is the the insurance amounts that people have gotten is is, is like throwing. Uh, you know, darts on the wall. They just came up with a number, and it doesn't meet the objective. And so what we look at in terms of financial planning, uh, according to the Financial Advisory Standard Board, is that you take your income for income replacement and you multiply that times 20 years. And so a lot of people uh, prior to having advisors um, they had sufficient insurance. It, it wasn't going to meet the objective. And then the question becomes, and, and this is the debate that goes on, is that the, whether they should get term or, you know, whole life or universal life, you know, cash value versus term, uh, you know, and that becomes a real issue, you know, in terms of what, you know, what, what, to, what, is, your, what is your take on that, on that debate? that comes up very excellent question again term versus permanent insurance generally people buy term insurance because term is like a rental you know um, and and permanent insurance is ownership and so the rental goes up you know uh, as you continue to age and mortality comes around and eventually ends because you can't afford it anyway and it was meant, though, for a good purpose, you know, because generally when young people start out, you know, and they get married, they have kids, they got student loans, they try to buy a car and a house and, and pots and pans and everything else, is their cash flow is very low. And so, and they need insurance because you never know when uh, trouble might knock at your door. Uh, I my husband died when I was 28. We didn't see that coming. My baby was 13 months, and my oldest daughter was seven. And so you didn't see that coming. Bad things happen to good people every day. And so what happens, you know, in 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 the midst of it is having that term insurance. It allows you to cover the years that would allow the children to matriculate to the university, at least, and at a very cheap amount. Now, the idea is to have the term insurance, you know, like in your early 20s to your early 30s, and you would have advanced on your job and, and, and made more money and paid down some of your uh, some of your debt. And so now you're moving forward with more progressive, and so now you can move into uh, a permanent situation where you're building equity. And so now you have cash value, as you mentioned earlier, that's built into it that can do all kinds of things for you at a later date uh, in terms of tax-wise. And uh, you got it at an age where you're still relatively young and healthy, and your chances are very good for underwriting for the amount that you need. And so um, both have their places. 
You know, uh, term is excellent when your money is funny early on and you need to have a policy because you have responsibilities in the family. Uh, if you can afford permanent early on, the earlier that you lock in at an age, the, the less expensive, you know, the cost of the insurance is going to be for you and it's better to get it earlier than later. But that can take a delay. But if you get term insurance and you believe you got an insurance policy and you do nothing about it, and as you get older, the converting is not there in most companies, and you'd have to go through underwriting again, and people since then have had health issues, and and they can't get underwritten uh, either uh but for so much, or they can't get underwritten at all. So, and, that, and, that, and that's where the challenge really comes. I know when my daughters were young, you know, we uh, we purchased you know a couple million dollars worth of insurance, uh, term insurance, and uh, put it you know had the owner as was. Let me see how it was structured. Oh, with an irrevocable trust, I think that's what it was. So that. Mm-hmm. You know, they were my children at the time, and so when if, if one of us died, then the money would go into a trust, and then obviously, you know, they would get certain money. They could go into the trust to get certain, you know, um, things for their living expenses and that kind of thing. And then the money was staggered in terms of you know how they got money because you know if the child was ten years old and you give a million dollars, I mean, what are they going to do with it if someone is advising mm-hmm. them? So, they could go in and get money for educational expenses, living expenses. It was all spelled out of the trust. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a lawyer and stuff do all that stuff, you know. And and, and the reason I bring that up is that, uh, and I was really young. I was probably in my late 20s, so it wasn't very expensive. But you bring up a good point that generally when, when folks figure out and do a calculation and go to an exercise to determine how much they need to take care of some minor children, it's not fifty, a $100,000. It's usually millions of dollars, you know, if something was to happen. Definitely more than a couple of hundred thousand dollars, you know, if they're, if they're trying to take care of their, you know, minor children. And that's where I guess the challenge comes, and that's where, you know, working with a professional like yourself can help you at least determine what that amount is going to be and then make sure, like you said, you ask them what's the purpose of it, and when you start going, you know, ask them all the questions, I want to take care of my kids and do this and that and the other, and then you calculate the number, then it gets a little bit, you know, expensive to buy. And oftentimes, you know, buying a permanent policy would be pretty expensive. But in the long run, it's cheaper because, uh, as we all know, that that term is going to end in 10, 15, 20, 30, at some point. And uh, and that creates a problem in terms of of, of those kinds of things. What do you advise somebody now with, uh, speaking of life insurance, have the underwriting guidelines changed now with the coronavirus? I can only imagine life insurance underwriting departments have uh, the tests for the coronavirus at this point. Because I'm assuming that for a lot of policies, they're you know having to go to an exam and draw blood and all that. Has the underwriting for policies? Have you heard anything about how they're going to change the underwriting for for life insurance for for consumers? Excellent question, Charles. And and I actually um, asked that, and they were already addressing it at our firm uh, mm-hmm. because you know when things change, things change. 
And so we all want to know what the new rules are because there's going to be new rules when things have a, um, you know, a catastrophic event like we are having now, a pandemic. And, and, uh, and so what happened uh, on the insurance is that they just added a few questions uh, in it about the uh, coronavirus. Uh, have you uh, contra- have you have you been told that you contracted it? Have you been around anybody that have? And um, and so those questions have been entered into it. And at policy delivery, uh, you'll be asked those questions again as you sign the receipt. You know to say that. And so if the client um, says that they have. Uh, been around somebody that had it, then we wait 30 days, um, you know, from that time to make sure that they don't develop any sickness. Got it. Got it. And and, and that makes sense. Are they doing any testing? Um, no, you know, they to- do in the same regular... Um, you know, uh, you know, depending on the policy amount, anything that's over a million dollars, you know, you have to do blood um, uh, blood work, urinalysis, EKG, and uh, anything under a uh, million dollars, uh, they ask you some basic questions, and if you don't have a red flag in there, uh, then the policy can be issued uh, without the exam. And um, but insurance is a major and a, and a very important part of comprehensive financial planning because anything can happen at any time, and this family still must survive and thrive. You know, a lot of times we just think of survival, and um, but I believe that he came that we may thrive as well. And um, and not have to have each generation start all over again from the beginning. So insurance so, uh, can serve multiple purposes in business and personal life uh, is important. And we've thrown out some terms that some of uh, our, our, most of many of our folks may not be familiar with. Can you briefly explain the difference between term, whole life, and universal life? coverage, just uh, give us a thumbnail sketch on, on what's the difference between the uh, the three different types? Yes. And so in, in actuality, you have two types of insurance, uh, term and permanent. And so term is exactly what it says his name is. It's for a period of time. It could be 10 years, 20, 30 years. Um, and so you pay a premium, and, uh, and, and if you happen to die within this period of time, they pay the face amount. And it gets very expensive after the term is up to renew it again as a term. Permanent insurance, there's, you know, uh, three different kinds. You have, uh, you have whole life. You have universal life, and you have um, variable universal life. And so permanent insurance all come with cash value. And so the whole life 
the challenge with that is that you pay it for your whole life. And so if you started paying it in your 20s, you're still paying it at 100 if you're still alive at that point because the fastest growing age group is age 100. And that's not the baby boomers, it's their parents. They're crossing over in record-breaking numbers, okay, Spartacus. And, um, and so you would pay forever. And so people realized that they shouldn't have to pay on a policy for the rest of their life, so they came up with universal life. And so universal life got broken. And so the cash value in whole life is just like the money in the CD. It's not making a whole lot at all. Um, you know, but you've got a little bit of cash in there, and it can get paid up after a period of time. And you don't have to send in any more premium that way. Universal life is um, like whole life. You pay it, but you can determine the period. You can say, well, I want to pay premiums up until I retire at age 65, 67, and I don't want to pay anymore. So you can do that. You don't have to pay it forever. And so because you're compressing a smaller amount of time, uh, it can cost you a little bit more. But the, um, the cash value is kind of tied to the index. And so you're making more money with that one. And so that's a good deal. It's a better deal than a whole life for two reasons. Your money is uh, making money more so um, with an index, you know, with interest versus uh, the whole life. And you can determine, you know, how long you want to pay it. Variable universal life is where you uh, pay it also like universal life. You can determine the period how long you want to pay. But the investment part of it is kind of um, you actually have mutual funds. And so it's growing in that basket. And so you get to pick out the different kind of funds. And so that grows really big. That can, and, and we call that your retirement income supplement uh, that can give you an actual income in retirement to replace the money that you lost in taxes with your ERISA account, IRAs, 401Ks, and, um, you know, where you got 30% in tax and you're going to get 70% in actuality whereas your investment-grade life insurance, uh, like the variables, you can actually supplement and get that money back that's never taxed. Thank you so much. Like the Roth IRA, you know, completely income tax-free in most cases. Great, great, great explanation on those. Because I think that, you know, for a lot of families that, you know, life insurance – is not necessarily on the front burner, unfortunately, because it's not something you can touch and feel and you can't, you know, wear it and, or drive in it, you know. Uh, but it comes back to, you know, do you really love your family? If you're, you know, if, if you're mm-hmm, married and, mm-hmm. and you have, and you have uh, dependents, or even if you're not married and you have dependents, do you want to make sure that if something happens to you that you could take care of, of, of your loved ones? We only have a few minutes left. I want to ask you, during this pandemic, how are you handling clients now? Because we don't know when this is going to be over. 
how, how have you had to consult with clients considering the social distancing guidelines we're all you know, following now? How are you dealing with your clients now? Right. And so that's another terrific question. And so how am I, you know, addressing clients in uh, uh, this social distance and experience? Well, what we're doing is um, uh, we're doing a combination of phone calls and virtual meetings. And so uh, we're able to, through uh, Cisco WebEx, and that meets our compliance uh, regulations, which was in place. We've been doing that for years, you know, because I have my license in 10 states, and so I use uh, uh, virtual meetings uh, when I'm not flying. And uh, it works really good because you get to wave and share the screen and share documents. Uh, we can sign documents each time, you know, and it's really the way that the future uh, was going, and it's going to keep going more so in that direction. And so we're open for business. We're just doing it virtually uh, right now. So you're saying cause, uh, that you're a, a fee-based planner. Explain what, does that, what that means, that that you you are a fee-based planner. Explain, because I'm assuming there are, there are financial planners that don't ch- uh, charge fees but, you know, take commissions from the products they sell. So explain to us uh, uh, your practice and how, and how uh, the fees, you know, come into the mix. Okay, great question. And so I'm a fee-based financial planning practice in Roswell. And so uh, my Series 66 license, which is state law, which makes me a financial advisor, and so and with the fiduciary responsibilities that go with it. And so with that, I do an actual comprehensive deliverable, which outlines the client's goals and, and, and inflows, outflows, assets, everything they need to know. Uh, and financial planning is generally, for most people, tax deductible. Of course, they would confirm that with their tax advisor, but the IRS want clients to have an advisor because they don't want to take care of you at old age when you become indigent. And so they want you to have an advisor. It's a good investment, and the financial advisor planning should never be a cost. It should always be an investment that you see a return, a significant return on your investment so that you make every dollar you spend an investment that's bringing back a return so it's never just going out. So and so typical- that allows the clients to have, you know, access to written documents. Uh, it allows them to have access to me you know, uh, several times a year face-to-face and um, uh, and over the phone and virtual. Um, and so I'm able to review documents as they come in along throughout the year because everything is, 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 is liquid flowing. Is, and, and, and so I'm always still here uh, to address things as they keep moving along in their lives. So when so when you say your fee is it a one time fee or is it an ongoing monthly fee or quarterly fee that you charge your clients for the services that you provide? 
the fee is an annual fee, Charles. And so okay. the client, you know, uh, most clients paid in a lump sum. Some, you know, they uh, arrange to pay 12 months and 12 months all year round, year after year. And, but it's an annual fee, just like the doctors, where you get, you know, a physical checkup every year. And so in that checkup, you know, if you get a good report, you need to know that. If you don't get a good report, you need to know that. Whatever the report is, you need to know so that you can make your decisions accordingly thereafter. Awesome, awesome. Can can you give an idea with the range of fees? Are you at liberty to share with the range of fees? Is it one fee for, you know, for everybody, or is there a scale? It's a scale based on the complexity. Um, we do uh, at, at Ameriprise. All of us advisors have all the same licenses, but um, our clients are individuals like you and I. Our clients are small businesses like you and I, and our clients are institutional clients. We go in and we set up, you know, the companies. We're the broker of record. We set up their 401K, and and we set up um, everything that they need to have done, um, you know, working uh, with the rest of the team at companies as well. And so uh, depending on the complexity of the situation that determines what the fees are. They can be as low as $800 a year, and they can be as high as plus $10,000 a year. Awesome. Well, we just got a few minutes le- left. Uh, Audrey, how can folks get in, get in touch with you if they want to you know, retain your services? Yes, and thank you for asking. Well, I welcome, you know, uh, anyone to call, and what that would look like would be a complimentary, you know, financial consultation, and so they don't have to bring me a checkbook or credit card. We're just going to talk, and um, and so we take a look at, you know, where they are at in this present moment and uh, see what they've been doing that have been working so far, what they uh, find is still keeping them up at night. And so um, at the end of um, the meeting, you know, they'll be able to determine, you know, if they need an advisor, you know, and if they feel that, you know, uh, they and myself would be able to work together and be productive. All right. And do you have a phone number or that they can reach you at? And the phone number to reach me is 770-885-0448. And again, right. that's 770-885-0448. And um, our office is open uh, Monday through Friday uh, from 8 until 5 p.m. All right. Thank you so much, Audrey. Uh, much success with you. Uh, be safe out there. <laughs> and thank you very much again, Dr. Ross.